Welcome to the Founder Hour podcast. I'm your co-host, Pat. And on today's episode, we chat with Alexa Von Tobel. She's the founder of LearnVest, a personal finance company that made financial planning affordable and accessible for everyone, which was acquired by Northwestern Mutual in 2015 for $375 million. She's now the founder and managing partner of Inspired Capital, an early stage venture capital firm focused on investing in the next wave of tech entrepreneurs. In this episode, we chat with Alexa about her early life and college days dropping out of Harvard Business School to launch LearnVest in the middle of a recession, what has helped her become a better leader of people, her thoughts on the current venture capital climate, and what she's most excited about as far as the future goes, and much more. We started off our conversation by learning about Alexa's upbringing and what she was like as a young kid. So I grew up in, I was born in Kentucky. I grew up in Jacksonville, Florida. Um, to a family of uh, doctors. My dad is a pediatrician. My mom is a nurse. They were actually, my dad was a doctor in the army. Uh, And so I'm the youngest of two older brothers. Um, And I think my childhood was, you know, in many ways, pretty awesome. Um, I have two older brothers. So I basically spent my whole life chasing after them and like trying to keep up, um, which I always joke, like is probably where my endurance and resilience comes from. Um, And, you know, as a child, I was always really into entrepreneurs, which sounds really nerdy, but I was the kid that rather than thinking like actresses and pop stars and athletes were awesome. I was like, mom, who's the CEO of Hershey? Like super interested in people who ran businesses, which in retrospect is insanely nerdy, but I I really was. And I think I just really liked the idea of like, having a vision, building something and then creating it and making it happen. Um, and for me, that was a really fun thing. So other than that, totally normal, did lots of sports. Um, I was a gymnast when I was younger and then did every sport you can imagine, uh, from soccer to volleyball, um, to track. Um, and yeah, and just love to hang and play outside and do all the normal things and got into tons of trouble. Did you always know, cause I know you be, you were an entrepreneur and a founder at a very young age, uh, relative to most that are founders, when did you know, or did you have any idea of what you wanted to do when you grew up? Um, well, I'll say I, I, uh, I think I was pretty ambitious growing up in that. Um, I'm pretty sure I told my uh, librarian in first grade that I was going to be the first female president. Um, so I'm pretty sure she thought I was nuts. Um, and then I wanted to be an astronaut. Um, I always loved outer space. I like thought outer space was so cool. Um, and you know, growing up in Florida, you would like watch space shuttles, like literally leave. Um, and actually at the beginning of the, you know, coronavirus, I was in Florida when, um, a space shuttle launched and we ran out and I watched it with my kids and it was awesome. Um, but so no, I, I literally was like, I want to be an astronaut. And then I think I probably realized that. Uh, that that was pretty complicated. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, I really, uh, at some point, um, was interested in being a doctor. And I think, you know, when you grow up in a family of doctors and nurses, you know, there's just this like routine part of the agenda every day about giving back and taking care of people. And so like our, you know, dining room table was talking about taking care of people who really needed help and, you know, helping little kids. My mom is a pediatric nurse practitioner. Um, and so I don't know, I, 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 it was very much so part of our kind of DNA, which is you're supposed to do things that are good for other people. Um, and I think I finally realized I was an entrepreneur 
probably when I was about 21. Um, and I remember it just like all made sense at some point, the like endless energy of wanting to build businesses of I used to keep lists and ideas. And I just, I, you know, I got very excited about the idea of building things. Um, and one day it just really clicked. I was like, oh my goodness, I am an entrepreneur. That's what this like restless energy is. Um, and I guess it in some ways even makes sense. I come from a family of entrepreneurs, actually. I never thought of it that way, but you know, my dad started his own practice and he was an entrepreneur. My brothers are both entrepreneurs. My grandfather started a lumber yard like Home Depot. Um, and so he was an entrepreneur. And so the more I thought about it, I was like, I actually come from a, a family of people who like to make and build things. Um, and they may look different and the types of businesses are different, but, um, you know, I kind of realized I was like, maybe that has just been something that is actually very much so uh, kind of in my DNA. I'm curious, you mentioned, you know, like as a kid, you were sort of fascinated by entrepreneurs and entrepreneurship and and these folks who built their businesses. And you mentioned, you know, your family, um, you know, being involved and ha- having, you know, started businesses themselves. What about it fascinated you so much? Like, what did you see that you're like, oh, I want to be that or uh, I, I aspire to be that? Yeah, I mean, I think there's something about the whole journey of it. Um, I love the idea of building a brand that stands for something about serving customers and figuring out a way to delight them more than other opportunities or than the competition. I've loved math ever since I was little. I, you know, ever since I was little, I was very good at math. And um, so the books portion of it and thinking about, um, you know, how a model's run or how you generate revenue all of that works for me. And in my head, it was it was something I always enjoyed. Um, but I really think just the idea of having nothing and then building something that can actually stand for something and mean something. Um, I've always loved that pursuit. Um, and, you know, I, I also kind of love being an underdog. I think there's something about being an entrepreneur where by nature, you're the underdog because you're starting with nothing. Um, and I think that is well suited for um, just, you know, I, I, I like to go and, you know, try to do good work. And I like the challenges and the intellectual rigor. And I most recently described it to my daughter. I have a five-year-old little girl. Um, and I explained to her, you know, I said to her, you know how you love puzzles and you love, you know, you love to problem solve and do little puzzles. I said, mommy does puzzles and all day long. Mommy problem solves every single day, but it includes people and business model issues and customer issues and brand issues. And that's what mommy does. And I love it. And I think her, it really, it's, it, it's a true passion. I love building businesses. Um, and I think describing it to my five-year-old really summarized it for me. I love problem solving. That's a great, that's a great analogy. And I think it's something that all entrepreneurs really have to do and have to be right. They have to be problem solvers or else I don't know what they're building. I mean, every company usually runs into problems or starts because of a problem, thus leading to other problems that then need to be solved. Uh, so I really love how you put that. I know that, you know, you eventually, you know, went to Harvard, you studied psychology and romance languages, right? Can you explain what that was like? Why you, why'd you do that? Obviously it's not something that, um, you know, you pursued as a career, uh, but I'm curious what that was all about, why you did it and what you learned. Yeah. Um, so I studied psychology and then I studied um, French, which first of all, I'd just like to say, guys, I'm like the person who studied French more years in her life that can barely speak French. So let's just like go ahead and keep the bar low. 
Um, uh, but no, my, you know, I grew up, um, my, my dad's parents lived in Belgium for most of my life. And, um, uh, as a result, I, you know, my grandmother spoke French to me. And so, um, anyways, I grew up speaking French and then, I uh, just realized it would be nice to continue it. So that was the portion of French. And I even studied abroad in France. Um, uh, and I'll just joke that again, I barely can speak it. Um, but, uh, for psychology, it was just such a passion. I love people. Um, you can tell pretty quickly after meeting me, I like people. I get energy from people. I'm a true extrovert. Um, and what I realized was I really like understanding people and understanding what makes them tick and why. And so psychology, you know, when I, you know, when I started at Harvard, there was a part of me that thought maybe I wanted to be a doctor. Um, I was really interested in the brain and I thought, you know, I, there was a moment where I was like, maybe I'm, you know, I, I do something, uh, around the brain, uh, medically. And then I think I quickly just realized I was an entrepreneur. And so, um, that, that shift happened. Um, but particularly for, um, psychology, everything is people, your whole life is people, your family is people, your best friends are people, your kids, when you raise them is understanding people, um, business is people. And I think, for me, I really wanted to understand a few things that drive us. So the different types of psychology that I studied, I started in this field called mind-brain behavior, which was a bunch of different things from decision-making to I actually worked in the happiness lab, which was so cool. And I had such a great experience. And I kind of said, life is about being happy. It would be really nice to study and understand what makes us happy. And the headline is, as people were really bad at making good decisions around what makes us happier. We tend to make decisions that create stress as opposed to things that actually make us more content, more happy, more, more alive. Um, and so studied those types of psychology. And then I studied um, a little bit of behavioral psychology, organization psychology. Um, and then I studied developmental psychology, um, which, again, both my parents were specialists in. And even today, it's like helpful when I have little kids um, in just understanding them. So uh I think my path in college was very much about studying things I loved and studying things that interested me. Um, and you know, then I took a bunch of random classes on things I just thought was interesting. Um, and I'm really happy I did it that way, as opposed to trying to do something super specific that would like fit a resume box. Um, and funny enough, you know, I can fast forward now almost 15 years. Holy smoke, studying psychology was, I think, one of the biggest competitive advantages. Um, to being an entrepreneur, um, because so much of psychology is also understanding your own psychology um, and what makes you work and what makes you what what, what makes you struggle. Um, and so, in some ways, I think it was a pretty good foundation for business. Yeah, I think you did it the right way. I, I mean, if I could go back, I studied business, and I, I wish I studied psychology. And I think that would have done a lot more for me in business than a business degree, because just like you said, understanding what makes people work, what makes people work together and what makes people tick. Like it's, it's so important. And so you mentioned like, you know, when you're 21, which is right around that time, you're, I'm assuming graduating from college, you knew you wanted to be an entrepreneur. What did you end up doing? Did you end up starting your own business or did you go off and sort of work somewhere? Yeah. So, um, the first thing that I did, which was sort of, um, you know, I, I, uh, Harvard business school was accepting, uh, seniors to apply for the first time ever. Um, and I was part of the pod that applied um, and I ended up getting in and it, it was great. Um, they allowed me to defer for two years. So it was pretty exciting because when I started my like working job, I kind of knew I had, you know, this two year window to then go back to business school. Um, 
And I actually started a bit on the investing side. So I'd spent a summer at Insight Venture Partners. And then I, I went to Morgan Stanley in their on the prop desk. Um, and that was just like a really good business 101, right? Like truly understanding. Um, I had taken accounting classes and a bunch of other business classes when I was undergrad. But really, this was like, you know, sitting there and reading balance sheets and understanding, um, it, you know, exactly what were the drivers of companies. Um, so that was a great boot camp. And then I ended up actually going and helping a friend who started a company in the file storage space. It was literally, he was standing up a company in Dumbo um, in, in Brooklyn. And he said, why don't you come help me? I know you're working on your own business. Um, and so I went there uh, and it was an awesome nine months. And I got to basically see somebody else stand up a company and do all the things that make a company work. Um, and at the time I'd been working on LearnDesk, uh, my own business. And so I'd already founded it. I, uh, my friend, uh, I, uh, knew I was working on it nights and weekends, and that was kind of our handshake. And then I went back to HBS, fall of 2008, world crashes, you know, Lehman goes under. And I had this really clear moment where I said, I've been writing a business plan for a year around American wallets. And actually, studying psychology was a pretty important thing because um, one of the studies I remember really viscerally was they took 90 year olds and asked them, What would you? Uh, what do you, what would you have changed about your life? And no one ever regrets anything they did do. You always regret the things you don't do. So you don't remember the dumb stuff you did or the mistakes you made or the boy or girl you kissed. Like you, you remember the, like, I didn't take this swing at the bat or I didn't go do this thing. I always, I always dreamed of a little bit. I just never swang. And so I always joke, nine-year-old Alexa sits on my shoulder and she's tough. And she's a tough cookie. And Lehman Brothers went under and I said, I've got to go build this business right now. Like this is the one moment in time when the world is zigging, I should zag and I should go do it. And it was terrifying to like leave a safe, comforty cocoon of Harvard Business School at the bottom of a recession when I had no co-founder. I was a sole founder. I had no investors, um, but I ended up dropping out of HBS. I went into the admissions office and said, I'm not coming back. I'm going to finish my semester. And they gave me a five-year leave of absence. And I literally got, flew to New York, cried the whole way. I was like, what on earth did I just do? Because like now I actually need to go figure out how to run a business. Um, and I had that one day of like extreme anxiety. And I woke up the next day and I said, it's go time. Get your shit together. Start going. And I started building LearnVest. And it really was that much of like a hard turn. And I kind of said to myself, well, that was rock bottom because I cried in public on a plane the whole way <laughs> and said, now it's time to go build a business because I have nowhere to go for a year um, and started building it. And then quickly, you know, duct taped together an early seed round. Um, the New York tech ecosystem didn't really exist. Um, it was very early. There was one angel fund that would give you 50K, which you're kind of like, what can I do with 50K? Um, and uh, ended up building a prototype and launched LearnVest and, um Five years later, uh, $75 million of funding later, we sold the business. And obviously, you gave us a great overview, but you know, I don't think that's enough for us. We're going to de definitely dive a little deeper. You mentioned that you had the idea for LearnVest and were working on it after you graduated college and while you were still working uh, and before business school. What was that idea and why did you have it? Why, where did it stem from? Yeah, so it was a really simple idea, which was, um, you know, again, I've been good at math my whole life. Um, and I said to myself, here I am working at Morgan Stanley, have this 
um, you know, for the first time, like making real money, my own savings. And I kind of said to myself, it's insane to me that I have no idea how much to go in my 401k or what the difference between a 401k or an IRA or, you know, I had no credit card debt because um, my mom made me terrified of it. But I very much was like, should I have a credit card? How many? Um, you know, how do I think about, um, you know, all the different kind of savings I need to set up and what can I afford in rent? And it was just a really simple question that I was asking myself, which was, how do I think about my own financial well-being and who can I go get help from? And I quickly realized nobody wanted to talk to me, um, you know, outside of savings my family would give me. I had no savings. I was young and just getting started. Um, and I remember thinking, this is so upside down. Why is financial planning a luxury product where once you have a lot of money, people will absolutely help you. But when you're young and trying to get it, you know, get started, nobody's there. Um, and I thought to myself, what if you could use the internet and make it super transparent and highly trustworthy and really proactively go and think that through. And it was kind of a big idea I had for Learn Best, which stood for Learn, Earn, Invest, which was to literally flip over the internet almost and say, it's all online. It's all digital. The price is front and center. There's no hidden fees. There's none of the BS. And you get to talk to a financial planner. Um, and that's what we started building. Um, and we literally just talked to hundreds and hundreds of customers as we continued to build it. Um, but the idea came from a really authentic place was I wanted to be good at my finances. And I remember thinking to myself, I can't believe that I never learned about this in college. And this is literally something that will touch every day of my life until I'm no longer living. That's wild. I'm curious, was it something that you were like extremely passionate about? You're like, I have to go solve this problem. There's no other option for me right now. Or was it something that like you were, like you said, kind of the, where the world was at the time, uh, particularly, you know, the economy and where it was. And you were saying, you know, you, you always wanted to start your own business and, and go about it that way. Um, was it more of that versus the actual issue or the problem? Or was it kind of a mix of both? It was really a mix of both, but I, I, I'll, I'll quickly rewind to when I was younger, I'd lost my dad when I was 14 and my mom overnight became a single parent with three kids. And I remember just in those moments, my mom had never, she didn't manage all of our finances. She very much um, managed the budget. My dad would do investments and, you know, um, all of kind of the, the bigger financial things. And I remember just thinking my mom's super smart and really capable and they kind of just divided duties that way. And I remember thinking to myself, no matter what I always want to take care of my own finances. I just want to be very good at it. It's, it's, it's a value system. And so when I went to Harvard, I remember being like, I can't believe that like, there is no class that teaches you those basics. And then even crazier, you know, I'm clearly good at business. I'd gotten into, you know, go work on wall street and got, um, this, you know, got into Harvard business school. And I was like, I still cannot believe that I'm sitting here and I don't know these basics and you can like Google them, but it wasn't, that straightforward at the time. There wasn't a ton of great information on the internet. Um, and I remember just being like, this is insane. This is nuts. And so one, it was part passion of like, this is a really big problem that most of America has. And I watched my mom go through it. And I just said, I think we can do better. Um, and then it was the second thing, which is like, once you get infected with an idea, I was like, I'm going to over my dead body, go solve this problem. Um, and that's kind of how I thought about it. And, you know, 78% of the country lives paycheck to paycheck. I've, I've become a certified financial planner. I've written two books on the topic. You know, it's become something that I really, really care about um, for all the right reasons, which is, I think, just Americans deserve better. And, um, you know, being able to have somebody give you good input about your wallet, 
you know, it's being able to afford food for your table, the roof over your head. And it's really simple. It's like, you don't feel dignity if you can't take care of your family. And for most people, they live paycheck to paycheck. And I think we need to fix that. And so it was just that feeling of injustice that in my heart said, I think we can go build something better. And in the end, what Learn Best became was TurboTax for financial planning. Um, we built a simple software that could help any American family, whether you make $30,000 or $30 million, get access to a great, clear, detailed financial plan. Um, and actually, you know, on our fifth birthday, Northwestern Mutual acquired us for $375 million because they had 5 million families that they said overnight we can give a financial plan to. And for me, that felt pretty good. That felt like the right thing to do. And it felt like a really powerful way um, to leave my mark on society by giving this great software to more people. Alexa, the time that we're living in now, uh, you know, this pandemic that we're going through is similar in a sense to 2008. Not necessarily because of, you know, the economy. I think the economy has been um, has been affected as a result of the pandemic, but it's very similar that there's a lot of changes, a lot of shifts in the way we're living our life and the way business is done. And, you know, you hear all the time that a lot of these great businesses come from or come during and start at, you know, the worst times in history, right? Whether it was 2001 or 2008 or 2020, um, you know, being in such a low period at, you know, at, at that time in 2008, why did you think that this was a risk that you should be taking, right? Where did you get that perspective from that, you know, you, you said, you know, the world is zigging, so I should zag. Like, how, how did you even come up with that? How did you think of that? Because a lot of people during this time are panicking. They're like, how do we make our next, you know, how do we make our next bill payment? But, you know, were you financially secure? I mean, talk to us about that time, right? Like what was going through your mind? Cause I'm sure a lot of people that are listening to us now are in a similar situation. I want them to go out and do exactly what you did, but I want them to also see how and why you came to that decision. Yeah. Um, so, you know, um, my senior college, um, I wanted to drop out and go start this business. And my mom was like, please just graduate. And so to be clear, it, it's, it wasn't like a lightning bolt hit me. And I was like, I got to go do this today. It was very much like a, a measured two and a half year that I was infected with an idea and I wanted to go build it. And it was, I was going to go build it. Um, and what became clear to me was it was about neutralizing the risk as much as possible to go start a company. Um, and so let me explain what I mean by that. So it, you know, I always say like, I'm, um, I do platform. Um, I, I, I was a diver in high school and then in college, I literally you know, springboard diver do a platform, which helps you understand that I'm actually a little crazy because anybody like hurls themselves off of, um, a, you know, 10 meter diving board is nuts. But it's actually all about extremely thoughtful training, planning and measured risk. And I think diving did teach me that pretty clearly, which was, um, I, you know, I didn't just jump off the diving board to go start a business. I literally trained, I wrote a business plan, a 75 page business plan. I knew very clearly that I was ready to do this. I then made a mini financial plan for myself that said, okay, I can put this much of my savings into the company. I have this much of my life to live on. And, you know, worst case scenario, I had a, a backup plan. My plan B was to go back to business school and finish business school and get a job. So it was like, you know, I created an infrastructure where 
I could go swing big and take a ton of risk because there was a plan B and the plan B was a pretty decent plan B. It was that sort of thoughtful risk taking. And then I very clearly made it so that I couldn't go back. So, you know, uh, you had to, I had to take a whole year off, which means I had a full year to go build the business. And I knew myself that at that point of working for a year, I wasn't going to be like, there was never a moment where I was like, should I go back? Um, and that that's, and by the way, they now made me an alumni, which is awesome. Um, and I had joked, it was like the best financial hack ever. Um, but, but it, it really was about how do you think through creating risk? And then everybody's different. I know myself, like I didn't even move my furniture out of my apartment in, you know, where I was in school because I couldn't handle one more emotional stress. Like I, I was like, I just have to start working and I can come back. I had to pay rent anyways. But it was like understanding how I work and just knowing I could bite off so much stress, but I couldn't bite off so much that it would shut me down. Um, and so so that's that. And then, you know, I was really fortunate to have, you know, a support network. Um, my boyfriend, now husband, was awesome. He was like, you got to do this. Let's go. Um, and my mom was like, I really want you to do this. You've been talking about it for a long time. Go do it. Um, and so that's helpful. Um, and I think that's wonderful. And uh, has been, I think, a, a very supportive part of the my my life. And the other thing is, there's a deeper part of me. Um, you know, I'm human. I, you know, I'm I, I love friends. I'm um, very social. Um, uh, but there had to be a part of me that didn't care what anybody thought. Does that make sense? Like when I dropped out of business school, people weren't like high fiving me. They literally were like, "You have lost your mind. This is the dumbest idea. You're actually going to be the least successful human in our class." That's like absolutely the tone. <laughs> and even like one of my best friends was like, I really think this is dumb. I really think you're making a dumb move. You know, the world was falling apart. There was people were losing jobs left, right, and center. And I had like a safe haven. Um, but it's a bit of that, like I had to not care what other people think. And I actually think that's the hardest part of life. Um, and don't take that as like, I'm completely a mutant who like doesn't have feelings. You know, I do. It's just, I knew that nine-year-old Alexa would really regret it. And I needed to stay true to my, my, myself. And if I didn't, that I would regret it. And so it was very much that mentality that helped me say, let's go do this. You mentioned having this 75 page business plan. I'm curious, how deep did you go into this? Like, did you have, did you know exactly what you were going to be building? Cause it doesn't sound like you had uh, much experience with like software, uh, you know, um, and like building software. Maybe you did, but like, I'm just kind of curious how deep you went into it. Was was it mostly like market analysis and research? Was it uh, actual it idea, it. like fully fledged out? It was. It was all of it. Um, it was very much the market opportunity. How many millennials are online? How many? How fast is online growing? The financial services state of the United States. What are the companies out there? How old school are they? What are like? how dissatisfied are customers? Then it was very much a, what would the brand, you know, I wrote like, what would it feel like? What would the brand feel like? And I mean, guys, there were days where I was doing the impossible, which is how do you make financial planning cool? It's the least cool thing on the planet. Let's be honest. Like no one walks. I used to joke, nobody walks down the street and is like, man, I just can't wait to get a financial plan today. So we had to be like, how do we think out of the box? How do we push boundaries? How do we be really creative? Um, and you know, how do we be really authentic to the brand that we want to build? And so it was all of that. And I, what's amazing is, um, and I, I literally the other day was trying to find the business plan. It's, it was, it was, it was just like ideas on paper, like chunked into sections. It was by no means impressive. 
But what it was, was it was me articulating what I wanted to build, what I saw and what I thought could be powerful. And what was powerful about that was it actually was this like strategic roadmap in my own head. Because I really had thought through, what does it feel like? How are we different? How are we trustworthy? What does the software feel like one day? And I thought these things through. And then once you're running a company, it's really hard to take time to do like strategic deep dives. Like you're running a business with your hair on fire. And so it was a very valuable exercise. And I tell every entrepreneur that they should build at least a 10-page summary in writing, Word doc, of what they want to build before they go start a company because it helps you get clear on what's in your head. And so you have you have this idea, Lehman crashes, you take the leap. What's the next step? What do you what do you do? Um, I mean, I literally opened my laptop and started emailing every human I could think of who would want to talk to me about my business, the ideas, what I was doing. Um, you know, lots of things went wrong, so don't don't think for a second they didn't. I hired one engineer who I was paying out of my savings. Um, so, you know, very stressful to be paying another human out of your own savings account when you don't have a lot of savings. Um, who quit on me because his startup got funded. And I was like, but isn't your startup my startup? Don't we work together? And I was, I mean, just like really big, like problems, like really stressful moments. Um, but, you know, I just started emailing everybody and anyone who would talk to me. I applied for every competition under the sun. I, you know, and, and I kept my head down and stayed humble. And I think part of that is like, it's very humbling to be an entrepreneur. Um, you put yourself out there and you have to be willing to just say, hey, I'd love help. Um, and you'll be surprised. Everybody wants to help you. People really do. And like, you know, and everybody's going like, to give you money, but everybody will give you an intro or do one thing. And, you know, especially if you're building something that people can see could be a good idea. People are really, you know, the world is kind. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm very curious about the marketing side of things and and because I love the learning aspect of it, right? You know, you, it's, in, it's in the name of the company, LearnVest, where you had to teach people what it even meant before they even used the product. And even to this day, there's so many people, myself included, that don't necessarily think that financial planning is sexy. It's not something that we think about on a daily basis. It's just like there. Right, we know financial planners. We know that we're getting hit up once every two weeks on LinkedIn by somebody to come and work for their company. But how did you and the company, and at the time the company is just you, how did you market the product? How did you teach people? What sort of avenues were you going to? What kind of people were you reaching out to to say, "Hey, you know, this is what I'm doing. Is this something that can help you out?" Right. I'm curious about just the early days of what that looked like. Um, it was truly, um, so as we first, what we did is, um, I created a newsletter, um, because it was basically $9 a month. You could literally create a newsletter and start teaching people about money and it was free to sign up. And literally within the first month, we had 10,000 people sign up. And that's when I was like, interesting, like we are clearly touching some sort of vein of society, um, in some capacity. And there you go. And in my head, I was like, okay. So first we started with content. Um, we actually focused on women out of the gate, not because they're different or anything. It was literally, I was, I was a female building the company. And I said, I'm going to talk to other people like me. Um, and young people who are trying to think through and navigate their financial lives. And as we started offering the full software and became a you know financial planning company, um, we just served households. And so basically 
we started the brand by just being really authentic and talking to customers. And we use content to do that. We use videos to do that. We created these things called boot camps, which were 10-day programs to just literally give you a kick in the butt about your wallet. And literally 40,000, 50,000 people would sign up. And quickly, I was like, something is working. Holy smokes. Like 50,000 people is a lot of people. And so then from there, we could raise money and we could do other things. And we started to win a lot of competitions. And, um, you know, the thing about building a company is every day that you're working full time on building your company, you make progress. And then when there's two of you, you make more progress. And when there's 10 of you, you make more progress and momentum starts to build. And I think what's really fun about momentum building is you feel it like that. It turns something on like a machine in me that then is I have so much fun and like the fun of the winning and the, the building creates this positive cycle where people want to be around you. And don't think for one second, that doesn't mean it wasn't a hard company to build. It was a brutally hard company to build. Um, I just celebrated the successes and the failures we just ran through. You mentioned, um, you know, your background in psychology, studying psychology and, you know, behavioral and organizational psychology at that point that, you know, the company started growing and you had to sort of start hiring people and managing people. Did it, did it come pretty natural to you or was it also still a challenge managing, you know, 10, 15, 20, eventually hundreds of people. Yeah. So um, some parts came naturally and then some parts were really things I had to get good at. And um, uh, this kind of goes back to like natural intuition. Like I, um, again, some parts were, came naturally to me. I'd run groups, you know, social groups or organizations in school. Like I'm very good at communicating a plan of here's what we should do. Here's our strategy. Here's what we're trying to accomplish. Um, Those communication skills I think were strong, but like, tons of things I sucked at. And so what I did was I kind of intuitively, since I had been an athlete my whole life, I kind of said I had coaches for things when I wanted to get better. If I was training for volleyball, I had a coach. The coach would be like, here are your pointers. Here's where you're not doing great. And that cycle of feedback was something I was very comfortable with. Um, Again, I dove in college. um, So I'm very used to a coach saying critiquing. And so I just said, why don't I hire an executive coach and, you know, listen to feedback? And you know, I was very uncomfortable. And my, my husband, um, uh, he was my fiance at the time, he was cracking up. He was like, you signed up for this. So, so don't be so uncomfortable. And I was like, I know I signed up for this. But, you know, it was very much a, you're getting 360 reviews of what you're good at, what you're bad at. And that first time, and I say this on purpose, it was, it was, you know, I was really anxious. I didn't sleep through the night. Like I was very much like, oh God, what kind of feedback am I going to get? And the truth is like, I sucked at some things. Um, And what was great about it was it created this comfort in me of like taking feedback. And I, I mean, I'm human, just like the rest of us. Like I don't love when someone's like, Alexa, I really didn't like that you did that, but I do listen and I do care and I care a lot. And I then try to like take a moment of silence and like deeply internalize it. Of like this person doesn't like that I'm doing this thing. And if you hear it from enough people, I always interview people and I ask them, what do you hear from your partner, your best friend, your family member, and your coworker that you're not good at? Cause it's the same thing. <laughs> um, that's when you know you're not good at that and then you should get better. Um, and so I've just learned to love feedback. And so um, management as a young person very much. So is something that, you know, I don't expect any young founder to be great at everything. In fact, if you are, we're probably not being honest. Um, and so I do think creating psychological safety around people who are trying to do exceptionally hard things is really important. I think psychological safety where you can say this isn't working or I don't 
you know, I'm, I'm nervous about this. I'm bad at this. Like you create a better company, a better culture, a better everything. If there's psychological safety where you don't have to have it all right. Were you able to manage your work and life at all? I mean, you, you were very young and you had a fiance and you're building this company that eventually sold for hundreds of millions of dollars. Was it just LearnVest 100% of the time? I mean, did you have any sort of opportunity to take some mental breaks or yes. go on vacation? Do Just do anything beyond just working? Yeah. I mean, I now uh, have a venture fund that I um, uh, called Inspired Capital. It's a $200 million fund. And it's very much a similar mentality to when I started LearnVest. I, I, I think I'm better at it the second time around because I also know myself better. Um, but one thing I will say, you know, my first two years of learn best, I ran so hard that I ended up in the hospital, just like truly would like run myself ragged. Um, and actually my executive coach was the one who was like, how much are you sleeping? Like, you know, how often do you sleep, exercise, see friends, like, you know, just the things that keep you kind of in stasis, right? The, the, the ecosystem balance that you need to be a sane human Um, and it wasn't that I like only worked. It was just that like, I didn't do anything, you know, I had friends and family and all of that, but it was like, I I always joke, I don't have hobbies. Like work is hobby one, two, three, five, and seven. Um, cause I love what I do. And so, um, I, but, but I think what I learned through that was that I actually do much better work when I do get eight hours. of. And again, I'm stating all the obvious, nothing coming out of my mouth is, is, is novel in any capacity. Um, but when you're young, you just think running as hard as possible is the best way to go. And actually, um, right. maybe periods of time, periods of that work, but not a long, prolonged periods of that. Um, and so I try to take a vacation at least two weeks every year. Um, I actually find I have some of my best ideas on that. It's kind of once your mind like shifts into a different strategy mode or relax mode, like that's when I get more creative. Um, I also um, have very much so tried to like get the sleep, do the exercise. I've been wearing a Fitbit since 2012 um, to balance sleep. Yeah, I mean, I literally like actually I'm on almost a decade here um, uh, of of tracking everything. And I think that's been a really valuable thing for me because you know it when you have two nights of like five hours of sleep, you feel fried. And let me go ahead and tell you the punchline. You're not your best yeah. self. Um, it's just so it's those sort of bit, little things. And so the answer is I'm very, I sleep. If my husband were here, he would right. be like, she loves sleep. She's a good sleeper. Um, I sleep, I hang with friends. I take vacation. Um, I'm very human in all of the normal ways. Do you think that there's something to be said though? And I'm not necessarily advocating for sleepless nights and beyond hard work, but don't you think there's something to be said about the founders and people that go above and beyond and beyond above and beyond and, you know, do get themselves in a situation where two years after they're in a hospital, don't you think that there's some correlation to that and success or like ultra success, which is the one that I would perhaps classify, you know, learn vest and what you've done. Or do you think that, if you were doing the eight hours of sleep, exercising, going on more vacation, that you would have been able to do what you did, you know, because I think that momentum has a lot to do with it. And when you stop, that affects it. You know, I think that's a really good question. I mean, I'll just say I am very much so I come from a family of people who work hard, literally every grandparent, every you know parent, every sibling, 
Um, we believe in hard work. It is, it's a value system I grew up with. If you ask my, my five-year-old, we all have favorite words and mommy's first favorite word is love. And mommy's second favorite word is hard work. And it's just, it's a value system. So, um, I don't think you can achieve anything exceptional without just real hard work. Um, and that doesn't mean you shouldn't work smart and strategically and, you know, very efficiently. So, you know, just hours is not hard work. Um, but, um, but no, I think you're right that there's something about just being all in. Um, and, you know, my whole life, I think that hard work has been a skill set of mine. Um, and I really do attribute it back to being young and doing athletics and, um, just knowing I could push myself into new gears. Um, but there is also a, a true chance of just, you, my mom always said, you know, you burn the candle at both ends, you have no candle left. And I think that, you know, there's, there is something to balance and, you know, recovery. And I actually interviewed the Whoop founder and we talked about the value of recovery. And I do think that you can, you can work better. So I'm not going to say that like, I, I could have worked smarter about Learn Best. And I don't think like just shredding the, you know, the, the candle um, is the only way to, to get forward. I actually think there's probably plenty of times where I could have stepped back and been more thoughtful and less fried. Um, but I will say no matter what, I believe in hard work. And I think at some point, um, it's just an, a critical part of any equation to doing something exceptionally well. You mentioned, you know, like five, six years after you started uh, the company around tw 2015, Northwestern Mutual came and bought, uh, acquired LearnVest. Um, talk to us about the feeling and, and sort of, you know, what were you, what were you feeling at the time and, and what did you want to do after that? Did you have an idea of what you would do next? Yeah. Um, so first of all, so we got acquired on March 25th and I had my daughter um, that weekend. So I went into labor on that. I got acquired on a Wednesday. Uh Thursday, we did a full, the CEO of Northwestern Mutual, who's this amazing guy named John Schlifsky. Um, and then that Sunday, I went into labor. Um, so pretty much it was the most intense week of my entire life, which um, speaking of like, um, knowing I have extra gears, that actually sent me into a place that um, I had never even like, I discovered I actually have a sixth gear that I didn't know existed, which is when things get that crazy, I go to like extreme calm. I just go into like, everything's fine. Problems are fine. I've got this. I, it's almost like crazily calm. Um, and I, so, so first I was surviving. <laughs> um, everyone's always like, that's the best week of your life. And I was like, yes, in so many ways it was, but um, it also really was every part of my being was being challenged. It was like intellectually, I was being challenged. Physically, I was being challenged, literally emotionally being challenged um, all at the same time. Um, and so that, 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 again, that was a moment, um, that it took me about a year to immensely wrap my head around what I just been through. Um, uh, and I think that, you know, selling it, I, I felt really good about that. I hadn't gotten through what I wanted to do next. That wasn't even on the table. I signed up to be part of the company for at least three years and end up joining the management team and becoming their chief digital officer. And, um, I really, really, really signed up to to see our mission through. And I think Northwestern Mutual is this wonderful company that believes in the value system of helping stabilize families in America. And so so I didn't even think about what I wanted to do until I got past my three-year lockup. I ended up staying for almost four years. I had a wonderful time. Um, and we did some great work together. And 
then it became like, you know, so to so no, the answer is I didn't know what my next chapter was going to be. I was still very much so getting through this first chapter. Um, and what became clear to me then was, and I, I credit my husband to all of this, which was nights and weekends. I was talking to founders, investing in founders, uh, helping them with their startups. And I was doing it for fun, nonstop. And my husband literally said to me, you would do this for free. You should probably do this for a living. And it just clicked. It like literally the light bulb went off. And that was, this, it was just like a very clear, obvious moment that like, yes, that's what I should do. Um, so that's how Inspired Capital was born. And um, I'm doing it with some people I love and admire more than anything. And it is a family of people that I want to work with for the rest of my career. And that feels awesome too. And I've learned that surrounding myself with people I love and trust is the best way to do great work. I know a lot of founders who turn to become venture capitalists, angel investors, et cetera, that have this feeling or this craving to then go back and become an operator. You know, have you ever felt that in the last, I know you've been doing this for maybe a little over a year or two years, something like that. Have you felt that need just yet to go back and hustle and be this operator who's just making shit happen on a daily basis? No, because honestly, it's the best of all worlds. We're building a firm, right? We're building a platform. Inspired Capital is our fund that we want to build for the next 30 years. And so I feel like we're building something special and the narrative of our brand and what we care about is so authentic and it's something I care so much about. So I feel like we get that dose and all day long we get to help, you know, entrepreneurs cut through noise and, you know, we're not always right, but we've seen a lot and we've employed a lot of people and we've been around the hood and I've made lots of mistakes. And, um, you know, I think that it creates an empathy with the founder that is so rewarding because I remember, like, it wasn't like I did this, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Like, it, five years ago, I was in the seat. A few years ago, like, I was in the seat. And so it's just like, I deeply remember what it's like to hold those challenges and how stressful right. things are. Um, and so it really gives entrepreneurs psychological safety. And then also, it's so fun to root for them. It's really fun. And if you can help them win faster, that's really fun. And, you know, there's a benefit to going to sleep sometimes and not waking up. Um I used to have this problem when I was running LearnBest where I used to literally in my dreams do work. Like I would do board meetings and I just would wake up and be like, you've got to be kidding me. Like I can't escape. It's, you know, there's, you're one step removed, right? Like it's, it, I can actually get a good yeah. night's sleep again. And, um, you know, I have little kids and it's a, at this stage where I am in my life. Um, it's incredibly rewarding to get to do what I do. And I can't imagine doing anything else right now. We talked about earlier, you know, kind of the, the situation we're in right now as a, as a society, as a world with this coronavirus pandemic and, and a lot is changing and you being in the seat that you're in now as a, as a VC and investing in the next you know, wave of entrepreneurs, what are you most excited about? Like, what do you, what do you per personally want to see happen in the next five to 10 years? Um, so first of all, I mean, I think that we are living through the largest change in human society in history. Um, and in many ways it's like, a genie has left a bottle and that genie's never going to go back in the bottle. Like we're all working from home. We're living differently. We're going to think about health differently. We're going to think about community differently. Um, you know, we are going through, I think probably again, maybe, maybe in the next 50 years, there's something more impactful than this, but I think it's safe to bet that this is probably the most impactful year in human history. Um, and, as a, you know, as a, as a venture investor, my job is to like live 10 years out 
And I keep saying we started the year in 2020 and we're ending it in 2030. Like literally we are changing so rapidly on so many dimensions. The fact that think about social norms, the fact that it's so normal to FaceTime somebody now, the fact that every call could be a Zoom, the fact that we're all in each other's homes nonstop doing work, the fact that you have so much different levels of intimacy and how you think about interacting with people. We're rethinking, you know, childcare as a nation, education as a nation. I mean, it's pretty wild. Telehealth. Overnight, my mom, who's 72, is still a nurse. She still works full-time, unsurprisingly. And she's Zooming with her patients. And I'm sitting there being like, mom, like, you know, 40 years prior, she wasn't using an iPhone. So it's really powerful, this moment in history. And for me, it gets me excited because I think we're going to solve a bunch of problems. I think this is going to be a moment in time. Um, somebody said to me the other day, never misuse a good crisis. I think this is a really powerful moment for us to go clean up a bunch of problems that need to be cleaned up. And I think a bunch of powerful entrepreneurs who are super passionate are being like, let's go fix things because this is a moment where we all are, we're all discombobulated. We're in a new element thinking differently. And this is a good moment to go think about how do we change the world and make it better. I love that answer. And I want to kind of play devil's advocate uh, here not because I believe it, but just because I'm curious. And we don't necessarily always talk to folks that are venture capitalists. And I love that you are both, that you were in that you were a founder of an incredible company and now you get to support other founders. But a lot of times we hear about this venture bubble or the fact that there's so much money out there, right? You know, are there uh, is there a need for more venture funds? Is there a need for more angel investors, right? Talk to us a little bit about that environment and how venture capital is going to play a role. And if there is truly a bubble, is that something that's going to burst? Is there just too much money out there? Are we just funding too many companies and just setting the stage for a bunch of them to fail? I'm just, you know, interested in the overall landscape. Well, so first, I think, um, you know, venture is a very specific game where, you know, uh, I think you have to have something unique that really makes you a special magnet for founders. So there's a ton of money out there. I don't know that every venture fund will survive and exist. Um one thing I will say is a bit of a contrarian view to all of this, which is like, I think that the venture world potentially is, you know, is only going to continue and grow. Um, and if you think about this, you know, there's people talking about there's the technology economy and the rest of the economy right now. And if you go back to my sentence of like, we started the year in 2020 and we're ending it in 2030, just think about what has happened in all of our lives. We are digitizing every single aspect of our lives rapidly because we're being forced to. So, you know, parts of the population, like I'll say my mom, you know, she's on Uber Eats and Instacart and all of these services that those were not our norms. Her behaviors have changed. Telehealth, the fact that we're all thinking remote work is a totally normal thing that we can do maybe forever. Um, portions of the economy will do this forever. And all of that means is tech, 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 digitization, digitization, digitization. And if that can, theme just continues... There's an argument to saying we're just getting started for this chapter. And um, that's not to say, listen, that like venture's infallible. There's there's tons of things that aren't going to work. There's lots of bad ideas that will get stood up. Um, but I really do believe we're at the beginning of an accelerant to technology. And I think um, the genie's out of the bottom, bottle and it can't go back in. Like um, one thing I think people are not saying enough is that nobody really wants to go back to work. I think that's actually the one sentence that people aren't talking enough about, which is we're all realizing this new world is like saner, you know, less running around. It's better for the planet. You're not in cabs, trains, planes, et cetera. 
you know, you get to be with your family more and you can do really good work. And so, you know, I think, I think the world's changed permanently. Um, you know, some things will go back and I'm not going to pretend like I am smart enough to have all the answers, but, um, I do think that we are not in like the ninth inning of this technology chapter. I would say we're closer to the, maybe the second or third inning of this technology chapter that will only continue in advance. I totally understand. And I totally believe that this has been an accelerant for technology and just the, you know, future of work, future of education, future of healthcare, the future of just everything. But don't you also think, and this is my belief for sure, is don't you think that we're also just kind of in this right now and we can't really see beyond it? We're just in this bubble of coronavirus pandemic. We don't really know what's to come. There's so much uncertainty. Frankly, for me, like I love being with people at work. Like me and Pat are recording this podcast together. We refused to have him and I be virtual and just be on our own because it's even just him and I being here, like there's much more of a chemistry with our virtual guests than if me, him and our guests was in a completely different location. Don't you think that eventually the human mind and human beings, like you said, your social being are going to want to be together again. Like they're going to want to connect and go to events, go to the gym, go to restaurants, go to work. Like, is it going to change that fast? Um, so, so again, I'm no expert in, you know, my guess is as good as yours. The one thing I will say is, um, I do think that, um, I I would almost maybe uh, answer it this way, which is imagine if this is our new normal and then we layer back into things that make sense. We go purposefully and say, let's put back into the equation things that are relevant and are nice. And we want to do them, make sense to do them. But like every meeting in a business world being face-to-face or, you know, or, you know, every board meeting being in person, like there's a lot of things that just, if you really step back, you're like, why did we need to do that that way? Um, right, I, right. I we've, you know, and by the way, I'm a very social person too. So I love to be together. And I, you know, I, I do think that we'll return to some portion of, you know, but it'll be a hybrid um, and it won't go all the way sure. totally back to normal. Maybe some parts of the industries, you know, p- p- parts of life will, um, but I think even doctors will, you know, who like to see their patients in person will be more open to seeing some portion of their patients digitally. Um, and I think it's more of an opening in the economy where we will balance and everybody will have different preferences. Um, but I don't think it's a snap back to March 11th um, is kind of the way that I think about right. it. Um, and, and if we did that, I think it would be a shame because I actually think that we're almost rewiring our culture in a way to make it more family friendly, more balanced for parents, more balanced for communities, better for the planet. And, you know, I hope we use this as a way to um, try to take care of everybody better. Yeah, it's going to be interesting that. to see. I'm, I'm really excited to see what, um, you know, we build as a, as a humanity uh, for the future and how we come out of this better than before. But this has been incredible, Alexa. Thank you so much, um, you know, for hanging out with us and sharing your incredible story and uh, both as an entrepreneur and as now a, a VC that's helping, you know, future entrepreneurs. Um, so uh, appreciate the time and uh, we'll talk soon. You guys are so grateful for a great discussion and thanks for having me Um, and really excited to learn from everybody out there listening. So feel free to share good ideas with me. Thank you. Awesome. See you, Alexa. Good luck at the board meeting. Thank you. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much. You guys are really, really fun. This was so great. Thank you. Stay safe, you guys. Stay sane.